You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Every time I get to teach the Bible, I really have two goals. And the first is that I want to find and study and then proclaim to you the truth that God is revealing in whatever text that we're studying. And I, and I have two questions in my mind always as I'm thinking about this. What does this text mean? And then why does it matter? But there's another thing that I want to do every time that I teach, and that is I want to teach you how to read the Bible. I, I want you to read the Bible. Every, every shepherd who loves his flock wants God's people to be reading the Bible. And my goal is every week to appeal to you, not, not necessarily with directly with words, but by example, for you not just to, to read it and then close a book and then check it off, did my Bible today, but that you would read the text and, and then that you would think about the text with, with the expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to be at work speaking His text. So you, you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit through His Word and that you would be, you'd be rolling it over in your mind, thinking about what, what God is doing in your circumstances, in your life, and how He's speaking into your life, whatever is going on. It's just good for us to be reminded that this book is alive. The Holy Spirit is speaking this word, the writer of Hebrews says. So that as we read this, God himself is going to be speaking this story to us. And so my goal is that, is that we would, would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And that we would humbly say, whatever you say, whatever sin you expose, I want to kill Whatever truth you teach me, I want to believe it. This week in, in my journal, I, in thinking about this passage, I wrote down, God, I don't know what you are going to do in my life, but I'm all for it. My goal this morning is Simplicity. For us to see what is on this page and hear the voice of our God. So let's pray and then let's go to the text. Father in heaven, Lord, I am thankful that even now in 2020, where many could look and, and, and get the idea that you have abandoned your work on earth. Father, I pray today that we would hear your voice as the Holy Spirit speaks to his church. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us grace to believe what he says, to do what he calls us to do, to let go of the sin that he exposes, to trust him, 
Whatever you bring. Father, I pray that you would speak and that your sheep would hear your voice humbly, joyfully obey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been studying through the book of Genesis and we've, we've spent some time, and we're going to spend a little bit more time, on Genesis 16. And so, if you will, open up to this passage. I'm going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 16, but we're going to focus today on verses 11 through 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her whatever is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Here's the text we're going to focus on. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. And she said, I have remained alive here after seeing him. Therefore... The well was called Berlaha Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. You remember the story. God has made a promise to Abram. Back in Genesis chapter 12, he comes to Abram. Abram has been worshiping idols in this foreign land of Ur. And he comes to Abram and he says, he says listen, I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to make it so that you become the conduit through which I bless all the nations 
of the earth. But Abram has a problem. And what's Abram's problem? He doesn't have a son. He has no heir in order to build this great nation. And so he and Sarah begin to get impatient. Sarah makes a plan. A sinful plan. A faithless plan. A self-sufficient plan. And the plan is that she is going to give her maid to Abram as a wife so that she can have a baby and then Sarah can claim that baby as her own. Abram caves into the will of his wife. He disobeys God. He honors, he dishonors God in order to please his wife. And their plan, quote unquote, works. Hagar, the slave girl, gets pregnant. But then she gets proud. And Sarah gets mean. And then Hagar runs away. I guarantee that everybody involved in this drama is glad when it's finally over. Hagar is through with the abuse. Sarah is through with Hagar. And Abram is is through with this cat fight he's got going on in his house. But I want you to notice that God is not through. And the angel of the Lord tracks Hagar down. And in the process, God reveals himself. But not just to Hagar. And not just to Abram and Sarah. God reveals himself to us. I believe he wants us to make two things crystal clear in our mind. And the first is this. These are the two points today. First, the Lord. And let's just be reminded that that that's not merely an office. That that We're not just saying master. No, when we say the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's his name. The Lord, Yahweh. Some people have, have pronounced it Jehovah. We don't know how it's pronounced because nobody pronounces his name, but it's his name. The Lord, the one true and living God, is a God who sees. That's point one. Secondly, I want you to see that the Lord, the one true and living God, always responds to what he sees. First, notice that the Lord always sees. Now again, I'll remind you, we're holding off on this discussion about the identity of who this angel of the Lord is. But we saw in verse 10, and we see again today in our text in verse 13, that this angel, this messenger of the Lord, is coming with all the authority of God Himself. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. And I want you to notice what what Hagar calls him in verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. What I really want to do today is really just meditate on that phrase. You are a God who sees. I want you to notice everything that that God sees in this text. Look at verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way of Shur. Notice that he knows exactly where to find Hagar. Hagar's trying to run away from God. Which just reminds me as I'm thinking about this text. Here's, here's Hagar. She's an Egyptian. Godless Egyptian. 
She's probably one of the slave girls that, that, in, that Abram received um, in payment for Pharaoh's marriage to Sarah. From this godless place, and here she is. You imagine she is living with the one who is to be a conduit of the blessing of God on planet earth. And she runs away from him. This is just really a side note, but it reminds me. Don't you want to live in such a way that godless people don't want to get away from you and therefore away from your God, but who are drawn to your God? Hagar is trying to run away from Abram, trying to run away from God. And maybe she doesn't know it, but she's running away from the conduit of God's blessing to all the earth. She tries to run away. She tries to hide herself, but she's not hidden from the Lord. The Bible says he found her. Look at verse 8. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Whether she knows the Lord or not, verse 8 is very clear that God knows her. Personally. By name. And by position. Look at verse 9. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. We need to notice in this text that God can see right into Hagar's heart. Remember verse 4? Hagar gets pregnant with Abram's baby and all of a sudden this slave girl gets really proud. Her mistress, her queen is despised, is belittled in her sight. God can see what is happening in her heart. He can see the pride that is driving her and so he puts his finger directly on her most tender spot. Look at verse 9, verse 8. Hagar, Sarah's maid. And then he sends her back to the last place she wants to go to submit to Sarah's authority. Can you imagine how humbling it would have been to turn around and to go back And to walk up to Abram and Sarah and say, Your God sent me back at your service. Look at verse 10. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so they will be too many to count. You see what God knows in verse 10? God knows the future. Do you know how God knows the future? It's not merely that he's watching it from a a position of timelessness. God knows the future because God decides the future. He knows. He knows what he's going to do in Hagar's life. Look at verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. God doesn't need an ultrasound machine. He knows what's happening secretly inside Hagar's body as this little baby begins to grow. He knows he is the one. He's the one who gave this baby life. He knows his name. He knows what he's going to be like. And look at verse 11 at the very end. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. God is not just aware of Hagar's pain. God gives heed. 
He's, he's given ear. He's listened to Hagar's pain. Look at verse 12. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of his brothers. God knows this baby. God knows this baby's whole life. God knows this baby's personality. Even before this baby has had one opportunity to make a single decision in his life. God already knows what he's going to be like and he knows how people are going to respond to him. You you start thinking about that and this text is absolutely amazing. I can't help but think of Psalm 139. Let's, Let's hold our place in Genesis 16 and flip over to Psalm 139. Here's another great passage for us to meditate on. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before you laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed me. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and secretly wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all Excuse me, in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Running away from God. You ever tempted to run away from God? Running away from God is like trying to run away from your own shadow. It's like banging your head against a granite wall. It's like kicking over and over against the tip of an iron spike. Some of you hate that about God. Some of you love that about God. But here's what really matters. It doesn't matter whether you love it or hate it. It's just the way it is. He is. You can't get away from Him. You can't shake Him off. 
He's a rock that will not be moved. He is a light that will not be extinguished. He is a hand that will not let go. You can tell a lot about your heart by asking yourself the question, do I love that? Or do I hate that? My guess is in verse 9, when he told Hagar to go back to Sarah, she wasn't all that pleased with God's authority. But I want you to notice, by the time we get to verse 13, Hagar loves it. In verse 13, she worships the Lord. Look at verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. And she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? This text is really exploding. It's a, it's a really a hard phrase to translate. She says something like, am I still seeing after he's seen me? So the Lord is a God who sees. And this text is very clear that he sees it all. There's nothing hidden from his sight. All is open and laid bare before the eyes of the one with whom we have to do. Let's think about this this morning. And my goal is that you'll leave here thinking about this for the rest of this week. The Lord is a God who sees. Great news or terrible news. Psalm 139 verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light, and light are alike to you. That's haunting, isn't it? Because here's the thing, you can, you can click private browse on your browser and you can think nobody's ever going to see you can go back into your history and erase all your internet history. Nobody's ever going to find out. But God is a God who sees. You do your deeds at night. that Nobody's going to see. God is a God who sees. You think I'm safe here. The door's closed. No video cameras. God is a God who sees. It, it might scare you, but, but think about it. On the other hand, it may be the best news you've ever heard. The, the end of verse 11 is, is so precious. The Lord has given heed to your affliction. In, in other words, Hagar, God knows your pain. He didn't just know about it. Hagar, he cares about it. Like, think about that. How many times have you said in your life, God, do you not see what I'm going through? You make all these promises, and then look at what's happening in my life. Don't you see? Don't you care? When are you going to do something? Verse 11 is saying to you, be reminded, you're the reason this is recorded. It's not for Hagar. By the time these words are written down, Hagar's been dead a long time. These words were written to you. God has given heed to your affliction. 
He hears. He hears your cries. Write this down. We won't go there. Write down Psalm 56.8. And go home and meditate on Psalm 56.8. Psalm 56.8 says that He collects. He keeps track of every tear that falls from His people's faces. Our God, the Lord, the one true and living God, is a God who sees. But for better, if you are His, or for worse, if you are not His, it gets even more intense, because as we're going to see, God doesn't just see like some detached bystander. God always responds to what He sees. It often, if we're honest, it feels like God is detached and unresponsive. Sometimes it feels like we're getting away with our sin, right? Nobody found, nothing happened. How did that, the sky didn't fall. I didn't, nothing happened to me. Sometimes it, it, it seems like those who sin against you get away with their sin. But we notice from this text that it's not true. The Lord always Responds, And this text teaches us there's two ways that God responds to sin. And the first thing I want you to see is God always responds to sin with justice. Here's the big thing I believe this text is teaching us. Regardless of how good it looks, disobeying God never pays off. In, in other words, sin is always a bad idea. R- regardless of how good and how right it feels in the moment. Right? It, doesn't it feel great to lose your temper in the moment? R- regardless of how good it feels. Regardless of how good it feels to indulge your eyes to see something that you should not be looking at. Regardless of how it feels to share some juicy morsel of gossip. Regardless of how good it feels to just be lazy. Regardless of how good it feels to take something that doesn't belong to you. Regardless of how good it feels to overeat. Regardless of how good it feels to waste money. Regardless of how good it feels to rebel against your parents with loud music blaring on the radio, the top down, your bare feet up on the dashboard, regardless of how good it feels to sleep with somebody that you're not married to, sin always, regardless of how great it feels in the moment, is always a bad idea. Because God sees. And God always responds. Proverbs 24 says, but it's repeated in the book of Romans, that he weighs the heart and he will render to every man according to his deeds. You you see this big picture, right? Look around at the world in 2020 and you will see God's justice at work. We have raised up a generation without discipline, without respect for authority, without submission to the truth. We've told them that they are nothing more than biological accidents in a random universe. 
that their feelings and their personal autonomy and their self-expression are the highest ideals that they could ever aspire to. We've taught this generation that their heart, if their heart desires it, then it must be good. We've taught this generation that freedom matters more than duty. That truth is relative to every person. That all moral absolutes are mere power plays by the people who want to control you. We've taught each of them, you are the most important person on planet earth. You have taught them that God, if He exists, He exists to do their bidding. And then we wonder why there's chaos in the streets. We're just reaping what we've sown. We're just getting the results of the justice of God. And here's something you need to know about God. We're going to see this clearly as we go through the book of Genesis. You certainly see this as you go through the, 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 the major and the minor prophets. You see, this, you see this with crystal clarity in Romans chapter 1. It's God's personality. God loves to work so that sin becomes its own worst punishment. He, he loves just, just giving people into the result of their own sin. It's the most just thing God could ever do, right? I'm just going to give you exactly what you ask for. God loves doing that. Let's notice this, this justice at work in this story. First, notice, notice the justice to Abram. What's Abram's sin in chapter 16? Passivity. Failure to lead his wife and Hagar with a holy courage. And look at the result. He wants to save peace in his home. So he sins against the Lord. And what does God give him? Absolute chaos in his home. He tries to fix the sin of passivity in verses 2 through 4. Look at this. With more passivity in verse 6. We do with her whatever you want to. I don't care. He thinks he's done with Hagar. But in verse 9, God sends her right back. And in verse 15, surprise, surprise, Abram, notice how verse 15 reads. So Abram bore Abram a son. And Abram called his name, the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Do you see what's emphasized in that text? Abram wants to wash her, his hands of this boy. But he has to own this boy. He's got to raise this boy. He names this boy. And to make it worse, he's got to live not only with this boy, but also with his wife. In the same household. The happy home he tried to have doesn't happen. And Hagar and Sarah continue to have serious problems for at least 14 more years until we get to chapter 21. And then there's something else. Look at chapter 17, verse 20. God is speaking to, to Abram and he says, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and I will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. Do you see the irony in verse 20? Do you see what God is doing? God is giving Abram exactly what Abram wanted. Kind of. 
Everything that Abram was willing to disobey God in order to get. He wants a, a, a son who will become the father of 12 princes. Well, Abram, that's what you get. But this son is not going to be a blessing to the nations. This son is going to be a thorn in the side of the nations. Isn't it interesting? Let's think about God's justice toward Sarah and her sin. She tries to use Hagar to get a son. She wants a piece of this promise to Abram, but after using Hagar like a tool, she begins to abuse her. I want you to notice that Sarah gets a double dose of her own medicine. Remind me, where's Hagar from? Egypt. Sarah, the Hebrew, uses and abuses an Egyptian. And when Sarah finally does have a son in verse 21, what happens to his descendants? He gets used and abused by the Egyptians. But there's something else. Sarah oppresses Hagar. And isn't it amazing? What kind of son does God promise Hagar? God promises Hagar a son that will not easily be oppressed. He refuses to be oppressed. Her, her Sarah and her descendants are reaping the fruit of her sin. In fact, if you think about it, Sarah and her descendants are still reaping the fruit of Sarah's Sin, Because Sarah's descendants are still being caused a lot of trouble by Hagar's descendants. And isn't it sad that everything that Sarah wanted to be a mother of a son who would become a great nation, she wanted it bad enough to sin horribly to get it? Isn't it amazing that Hagar gets it first? There's one more thing. Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your afflictions. The angel of the Lord named Hagar's son Ishmael. And, and, and it literally means God is hearing. God is listening. It, it's, it's, and this is not like American names. Um, Emma, I looked up your name. You may not know it, but your name means whole or universal. But when we say Emma, we don't, we don't think, oh, whole or universal. We, if, if you say my name, Thomas, means twin. But when you call my name, you're not thinking, let me call the twin. Or, or, or I looked up Tony's name. Tony's name means triumph. But you don't, you, don't, you don't think about that. But here, his name is literally just the actual words that Hebrews would use to say God hears. So when they call his name, they're literally saying God is hearing. Can you imagine every time Sarah had to say his name, what must have gone through her mind? God is a God who hears. All this time, I should have just realized that God was hearing my affliction. I should have trusted him. And God heard the abuse that I poured out on Hagar. Let's look at God's justice at work at, against Hagar's sin. What was her sin? Well, she, yeah, she's fleeing from the, from the one upon who's, who has the blessing of the Lord. He is the one who's going to bless. It's a bad idea always to flee that person. How about her sin in verse 4? 
pride. She belittles her queen and she disobeys her queen. Again, there's two responses that I see. Number one, God sends her back. What happens to her pride? She's humbled to go back to Abram and Sarah. And, and, then, and then think about this. Look at what her son is going to be like in verse 12. A wild donkey of a man. What is just a seed in Hagar's life takes full bloom in her son. You see the point the author's making? Sin promises you the sky. But it only delivers the wind. Regardless of how good it looks, disobeying God is always a bad idea. God designed it that way. But let me see one more thing before we leave this story. And I hope that this will, you will leave this passage in, in awe of the infinite wisdom and goodness of God. Everything we've said about God right now is, so far has been true. But if we, if we close the book right now, you would, you would really leave with a half picture of who He is. I want you to notice that God is the God who sees and He is the God who responds to justice, but in an absolutely awe-inspiring way, at the exact same time, He's responding with grace. Notice this in the text. The strong arm of the Lord that is able to destroy you if you oppose Him it is the same arm that will shield you and protect you if you run to Him. God is like a mighty rock. And He will crush you if you oppose Him. But He will be your shelter if you run to Him. The light of God will expose your sin if you try to hide from Him. But it will warm you. And it will cleanse you. And it will encourage you and satisfy you if you walk in it. Be amazed at the grace of God poured out in this story. Let's think about Hagar first. This prideful, disobedient God. God holds her accountable. But I want you to notice that He doesn't write her off as a worthless slave girl. God pursues her. God Almighty runs after her and He blesses her. That, he blesses her son. That's, that's the word that He uses in verse 20 of chapter 17. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. Even though I wouldn't want the prophecy of verse 12 to be made about one of my sons. Look at this. Hagar's ecstatic. She's excited about the prophecy because, number one, God promises her that this son was not going to be a victim of oppression the way she was. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with. But even more than all that, Hagar, the prideful, disobedient slave girl, has just spoken to God Himself and she's still alive. It's grace. Think about Abram and Sarah. They are not innocent by a long shot. In fact, I encourage you to go home, read verse six, chapter 16, and see if you can find a sliver of anything positive about Abram or Sarah in verse 16. The, 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 the only thing is in verse 15, Abram seems to be owning his sin. It's the only thing positive said. 
Nothing even remotely flattering about Sarah. She's faithless, impatient, unbelievably selfish, overbearing, disobedient, irresponsible, prideful. And then to top it all off, she's abusive. Abram, weak, fears his wife more than he fears the Lord, sits back and watches all this takes place, physically participates in a sinful polygamous union... But I want you to notice something. I want you to see something amazing. Look at what God does next. Look at chapter 17, verse 4. As for me, Abram, behold, my covenant is with you. You will be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God look at verse 15 and then the Lord said to Abram as for Sarah your wife you shall not call her Sarah but Sarah shall be her name and I will bless her and indeed I will give you a son by her then I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations kings of peoples will come forth from her can you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in this text Again, this is not for Abram and Sarah. This was written for the people of God. This is written for you. I hope that every single person who woke up this morning with a guilty conscience would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and stop cowering from God in shame and run to Him in full assurance of faith that where sin has abounded, God is offering grace that abounds all the more. The Holy Spirit is calling to you this morning. There is grace available for sinners. Abundant grace for the guilty this morning. This heart-changing, filthy, past-washing, life-altering grace is overflowing to sinners this morning if you will just believe. Here's why. Because 1,800 years after this encounter with the angel of the Lord... Another angel appeared to another young girl. But this time the son that was promised was not a wild donkey of a man. But a lamb. And the plan from the beginning, the Bible actually says the plan from all eternity. The plan was that the fullness of the justice of God would be poured out on him. So that... You would get to have the fullness of the grace of God poured out on you. So where does that leave us? And here's the answer. It leaves us with only two choices. You have two choices this morning. The first is, you can hear all this and you can harden your heart and you can keep trying to satisfy yourself with your sin, with, the, with these temporary pleasures that sin offers. But God sees. 
And he always responds. And he'll respond with justice. And the sin that, that tastes so good in the moment will end up with like rocks in your mouth. He promises that justice <clears throat> will be served and you will get exactly what you deserved. Or, today, you can see that he's a God who sees. He's a God who cares. In fact, he's a God who bleeds. And you can willingly hand over absolute control of your life to him. It's two choices. Think about what the cross of Jesus Christ proves. It proves that he sees. He saw you in all of your sin. Know what, it, know what the cross proves? As the perfect Son of God is nailed to a cross, drowning in His own blood, calling out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's seen all of your sin. He's placed it on His Son. So that you can know, you can know God sees me. The cross of Christ Proves that in your life, regardless of what you're going through, He loves you. He's seeing. He's going to do what is right. And the cross of Christ proves that the only thing that He doesn't see anymore is your guilt. Trust Him. And drink forever from the cup of His grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful that this seems so strange for us to say this. But we are thankful that all this happened. That we might know that you are a God who sees. Father, this reminds us, this is a good time for us to pray for all the Muslim people of the world. That you would bring them to faith and forgiveness in your son Jesus. That they might run to the son of Abraham. And be made yours. Father, we pray for every single one of us. God, I pray that you would so work that we would not be tricked by the fleeting temporary pleasures of sin. But that we would trust the God who sees. And who believes that he might forgive God, I pray that you would work, that we would trust in that forgiveness through your Son and live lives of joy and obedience. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org.
We'll see you next time.